Good afternoon and welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Corey Canute. Coming up this afternoon, we'll get an insect update from provincial entomologist John Gavlosky. Also, we'll chat with Andy Harrington, executive director with the Canadian Food Grains Bank. And up first in today's country comment, we'll recap yesterday's USDA July WASDE report. The latest farm news and market numbers all coming up over the next 60 minutes. The time now is 12 o'clock. Here's a look at our local news. Good afternoon, you're listening to the Manitoba Farm Journal. The USDA released its July WASDE report yesterday. Dan Bossy is president of Egg Resource Company in Chicago. Well, the report, as is typical in July, didn't have a lot of fanfare, Corey. Uh, We saw that the USDA lowered uh, uh, their feed residual estimate in corn and raised end stocks by 25 million bushels. And then they adjusted both corn and soybeans relative to uh, the seedings estimates that came out in late June. Uh, So as we look at it, up 400,000 acres in corn, down 2.6 million acres in soybeans. However, in the soybeans, they did cut crush in exports and also lowered the Chinese uh, imports in an old crop position to 90 million metric tons. That weighed in the soybean market. But in the background of all of this has been, of course, the recessionary fear in the United States and inflation, what the Fed will be doing. That gave us a sharply lower market yesterday that really uh, put the, uh, the, the uh, market in the tank. And at least today we're seeing some recovery. How are uh, crops coming along in the States? We are struggling in some areas. It is not a year in which we would expect trendline yields. Temperatures have been too warm. We've had too much dryness across key states like uh, Kentucky, Indiana, Ohio, half of Illinois. And then we've had this extreme heat throughout the, uh, we'll call it the spine of the United States including Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas, Nebraska, and then moving over to Arkansas and Missouri. Those crop areas produce about 4 billion bushels of U.S. corn, 1.2 billion bushels of soybeans, not a lot of rain for the next two weeks, and the temperatures will be extreme. So in a grand total of things, it looks like the U.S. crops will struggle uh, as they head to the home stretch during the month of August. What will you be watching here going forward? Well, we'll be watching things going forward of things like in the wheat market, in particular like India. We think the Indian wheat crop is still overstated by USDA by 10 million tons at 106 million metric tons. That's too high for India. We'll also be watching, of course, South American crop estimates. They're looking for soybean production to leap 30 million metric tons as we look forward to the new crop. That's a record. So, South America needs to have everything going right. In the big scheme of things, global uh, supplies are still relatively tight. That should give us some underpinnings as we look forward. But more important will be where the U.S. and northern hemisphere crops end up. Europe's experiencing a rather dire drought right now. And so they are going to be importing record amounts of corn, we believe, going forward. That was Dan Bossy, president of Egg Resource Company in Chicago. A look at what's happening in the markets this afternoon is coming up. Good afternoon. I'm Corey Canute. Manitoba agriculture says crops have advanced rapidly across all parts of Manitoba this past week, faster than many agronomists had expected. Rapidly growing crops have hastened crop flowering and cereal and canola fungicide application is well underway. Warm temperatures, high humidity and rain in recent days has increased the risk for Fusarium head blight and sclerotinia disease development in crops. And most farmers are choosing to use a preventative fungicide on spring cereals and canola. Despite good growing conditions, heavy rains have damaged some crops, leaving large drowned out spots. The USDA released its July WASDE report yesterday. Dan Bossy is president of Egg Resource Company in Chicago. Well, the report, as is typical in July, didn't have a lot of fanfare. We saw that the USDA lowered uh, uh, 
their feed residual estimate in corn and raised end stocks by 25 million bushels. And then they adjusted both corn and soybeans relative to uh, the seedings estimates that came out in late June. Uh, so as we look at it, up 400,000 acres in corn, down 2.6 million acres in soybeans. However, in the soybeans, they did cut crush in the exports and also lowered the Chinese uh, imports in an old crop position to 90 million metric tons. That weighed in the soybean market. But in the background of all of this has been, of course, the recessionary fear in the United States and inflation, what the Fed will be doing. Wasi says crops are struggling in some areas in the U.S. The Canadian Canola Growers Association was pleased to see the final clean fuel regulations published last week. Steve Pratt is Senior Manager of Transportation and Biofuel Policy at the CCGA. It's been a long time coming, five, six years in development. What's great about the clean fuel regulation now is that for farmers, for the crushing industry, the canola crushing industry in Canada, for biofuel producers and everyone in that value chain, we now have... Uh, the rules of the game, if you will. The rules are set and companies and uh, farmers and and the the fuel industry can figure out how they're going to comply with this and um, start to plan for, um, you know, grabbing some market share um, out of this. The CFR requires that transportation fuels in Canada have an incremental carbon intensity reduction reaching 15% by the year 2030. The final clean fuel regulations come into effect July 1st of 2023. And the International Bison Convention is taking place this week in Saskatoon. Les Krager is the convention chair. Bison are a very family-oriented and herd-oriented animal. Uh, You don't see them off by themselves very often at all. Um, They have strength in numbers, and that's what we're trying to do as an industry, um, as as the bison community. Uh, So the convention encompasses everything from conservation, production, right through to the chefs uh, preparing bison. He says the event happens every five years and alternates between Canada and the U.S. That was a look at today's farm news. I'm Corey Canute. Good afternoon and welcome to the Prairie Eggwire for Wednesday, July 13th. I'm Corey Canute. Coming up today, we'll hear from the executive director of the Canadian Food Grains Bank. Earlier today, I caught up with Andy Harrington, Executive Director of the Canadian Food Grains Bank. Andy was in Ethiopia to highlight the hunger crisis in that country. I've been here for just over a week. I'm actually leaving this evening. Um, I've been here visiting some of our uh, Canadian Food Grains Bank's members' projects with their local uh, partners to see the extent of the drought um, and the hunger crisis that's been happening here. And And it is really quite severe. Talk a bit more about about the crisis there in Ethiopia. You know what uh, what you've been seeing there. Well, we've seen a lot. We we're um, the, the drought is in its third year here. Uh, the country is also suffering from a uh, from a prolonged conflict that's been going for some time now. So we're seeing an awful lot of displacement, uh, a lot of uh, people that are internally displaced and um, are not able to have access to land that they would normally use for growing. We're also seeing a drought. Uh, that's entering its fifth um, failed rainy season. Uh, And so as a result of that, we've been seeing an awful lot of people that are in severe need. So we were at uh, an emergency distribution of food uh, that our members uh, tier fund run with local partners, TDA. uh, And it was for over 9,000 people. And it's just one of the programs that we're running here at the moment. And there are uh, many of our sector colleagues, other agencies doing more because there's 7.2 million people who are severely food insecure here at the moment. Uh, you've got about two and a half million livestock that have died. You've got a lot of people on the edge of famine. It's a very, very acute situation here. 
we've met some of these people and it's been quite harrowing to be honest what are some of the stories that you've been hearing fr from the people there sure so uh, just a couple of examples um uh, we met a lady called gete uh in uh Walita in southern ethiopia in habicha uh, which is a town there a village there um she had been uh farming in a valley uh, and because you know we're in a drought but sometimes cloud bursts happen and, and like you often see in canada that rain is then has major runoff um, issues. And so uh, the, the, the area that she had been in was totally flooded just very quickly. Everything was wiped away. So she moved up to um, higher ground. That was last year. She moved up to higher ground, um, planted her crops again. Um, and this time the drought came and her crops fell. So she moved into severe in food insecurity and she was actually fearing for her life and for the life of her family. Uh, fortunately, she's part of our um, members project there. Um, and so we were able to meet her at a food distribution. She was getting enough food for a month for her family. But I mean, she's the sort of example of, of millions of people that are just trying to figure out how they're going to struggle to survive here. Um, we've met other farmers. We've been on farms and watched, uh, you know, seen how their crops have failed. The maize crop, which is planted in the first rainy season, Ethiopia has two rainy seasons. Uh, was planted when the, when the first signs of that season were going, it's failed because the season failed. And so even though it's raining today outside my window, the crops have failed, it's too late for them. So we're seeing real stories of um, concern, of hunger. Uh, we're seeing real desperation uh, and we're absolutely determined to do all that we can to help. Are there other countries as well where uh, you know you're focusing your work? Yeah, I mean, as you know, uh, we've, we've talked many times, Corey, so you know that we work in um, any in any one year, anywhere between 34 to 40 countries. It depends on the year. Last year was 34. Uh, but particularly at the moment, we're focused around the Horn of Africa. There's a concern for famine across the Horn of Africa. So in countries like um, northern and eastern Kenya, in countries like Somalia, uh, South Sudan, right across the Horn of Africa, they're dealing with this drought that's a climactic event that we haven't seen for 40 years. We're living with a spike in malnutrition. UNICEF just recently warned there are 1.7 million children now in urgent need of treatment for acute malnutrition across the Horn of Africa. So we do have a focus here at the moment, but we're also not forgetting about those in need elsewhere in places like Yemen, in Syria, in Lebanon, and uh, Latin America, Asia, in, in the other countries that we work in as well. But there is a real severe crisis here. And how can uh, people, you know, back home here in Canada, how can how can we help? Well, there's there's a very specific way that people can help at the moment, and I'm really hoping that people listen and respond to this. So Canadian Food Grains Bank is uh, a member of the Humanitarian Coalition, and the Canadian government have pledged to um, match the first five million that we can raise through a Humanitarian Coalition appeal up until July 17th, specifically for this region. So we have, what is it, the 13th today? I've lost track, I'm here in Ethiopia. So it's the 13th, we have four more days to reach that four million. And you can go to any of our members' um, sites or you can, the Humanitarian Coalition member sites, or you can go direct to either foodgrainsbank.ca or together.ca and make a donation there. And that money will get out here really fast because it's too urgent, we can't waste time. All right, uh, Andy, anything else to, uh, to leave with us here today? Well, I'll just say one thing, actually, Corey, and thanks for asking that. I, I do want to say this. One of the things you always, you, you people have asked me numerous times uh, over the last few weeks, well, we always hear about this. We always hear about Ethiopia. It never ends. Well, that's not actually true. We're in a unique situation here. There are many other people we've met here that are really resilient, are trying to change the way they do agriculture. We're working with the Ethiopian government 
on that to build drought resilient food systems. So it's not all a dark story. Uh, so we're not only working right now in emergency need, we're actually working to build long-term resilience as well. So we're asking people to come alongside us and help us, but right now, the need is acute. That was Andy Harrington joining us from Ethiopia earlier today to highlight the hunger crisis going on in the country. That's it for the Prairie Eggwire for today. If you have any questions or opinions to share, send them to us by email thefarmdesk at goldenwest.ca. I'm Corey Canute. Thanks for listening and have a great afternoon. The Prairie Eggwire will return tomorrow on the Golden West Farm Network. Time now for a look at the farm calendar. The Roland 4-H Museum is open throughout July and August. Hours are 1 to 4 p.m. Seeds Canada is hosting its annual meeting this week at the RBC Convention Centre in Winnipeg. The Manitoba Organic Alliance is hosting a farm tour July 15th. Visit the MOA website for details. Western Canada's outdoor farm show Egg in Motion is back this year. The event takes place July 19th to the 21st in Langham, Saskatchewan. Manitoba Stampede and Exhibition takes place July 22nd to the 24th in Morris. The Canadian Semental Association hosts its annual meeting July 23rd in Portage La Prairie. Details at semental.com. The Thanks for Farming Tour 2022 is coming to Winkler's Meridian Exhibition Centre July 27th and 28th. Tickets are $10 and you can get them at thanksforfarmingtour.com. Continuing with the Manitoba Farm Journal here on this Wednesday afternoon, we're joined by the province's entomologist, John Gavlosky, to get an insect update. We started by talking about grasshoppers. So there's areas of the province where levels are quite high, and it does vary. Even within a region, things vary quite a bit. Some people are saying levels aren't economical and not too bad. Others, they're really keeping an eye on some of the higher levels. I think in some areas, the rain may have helped out a little bit uh, when the hatch was happening uh, some of them might have got killed off, but overall, I think populations are uh, still quite strong. So there's definitely economical populations out there, so we're just encouraging people to scout your fields. There, There is certainly some edge spraying going on and even some full field spraying in cases. Last week's report uh, talked about um, pea aphids. Um, you know, what, what have people been seeing with those? Yes, so uh, pea aphids... First of all, um, just a bit of background. Um, with uh, pea aphid, they will be um, moving into peas. Uh, usually when uh, it, things get into the early flowering stage, we start uh, encouraging people to scout your peas, uh, get to know the populations. Why they're an issue is because uh, when they feed on the young developing pods, they can cause very direct damage to the seeds. So really, it's a seed development issue, so you have to protect those young pods. But the scouting we encourage during the flowering stage of the peas. So now's a good time to be out scouting your peas. And you can either use a sweep net or just uh, have a look at the tips of some of your pea plants. There are some populations that we consider to be economical, meaning they're above our economic threshold, uh, which if you're using the sweep net, it's about 9 to 12 aphids per sweep. So if you're doing 10 sweeps, that would be 90 to 120 aphids, or about 2 to 3 aphids per plant tip on average. Talk to us about um, barley thrips. Um, What kind of numbers are we seeing with those? Okay, so barley thrips, um, uh, as the name would imply, they like barley, and you need to be scouting the barley 
in the very early heading stages for barley thrip. That's when they can cause their damage. And in fact, once the barley is fully headed out, um, you've missed your opportunity, really. That's, um, they're not really doing economic damage anymore. So early heading stage, good time to sample. Um, they have a rasping mouth part. They kind of uh, rasp at the plant tissue, make it um, bleed at sap, and then they feed on the juice. And the, the, the uh, economic levels really depend on the value of your barley. So we have this formula that we provide that takes into account the cost of control, um, the expected dollar value of your barley, and then we divide it by 0 0.4, which is the, the yield loss that they can uh, cause. And it, it's generally working out to about three to four barley thrips per uh, head that you sample. What we encourage people to do, often the barley thrips are underneath the leaf sheath, so uh, it's usually the upper two leaves. So peel back the leaf sheath on the upper two leaves, look under that, count barley thrips. If you're getting any more than three to four per stem that you're doing that on, that could be an economic population. But again, do the economic threshold calculation to figure it out. Any other insects to worry about at this point? Or? Uh, those are the main ones that um, are causing any kind of economic damage. Now, the other one that people are calling in a lot about is blister beetles. Um, and they're an insect with a good side to them. Some of the species, their larvae eat nothing but grasshopper eggs. And because we've had lots of grasshoppers around, there's lots of blister beetles around this year. Um, it gets people concerned because they will also feed in crops. Usually they're very patchy, uh, so they like to aggregate, congregate in an area. They normally don't cause economic damage, but for people who have small research trials and field plots, when they get loaded up with them, it can be um, sometimes a little bit unnerving. And if you are growing faba beans, they really there's a couple species that really like faba beans. So I've uh, had some people with um, either garden uh, faba beans or research trials concerned about the levels of blister beetles they were seeing. That was provincial entomologist John Gavlosky. Another look at what's happening in the markets heading into the close is coming up in just a moment. Time now for another look at today's farm news. Crops are struggling in some areas south of the border. Dan Bossy is president of Egg Resource Company in Chicago. It is not a year in which we would expect trend line yields. Temperatures have been too warm. We've had too much dryness across key states like uh, Kentucky, Indiana, Ohio, half of Illinois. And then we've had this extreme heat throughout the, uh, we'll call it the spine of the United States, including Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas, Nebraska, and then, then moving over to Arkansas and Missouri. Those crop areas produce about 4 billion bushels of U.S. corn, 1.2 billion bushels of soybeans. Not a lot of rain for the next two weeks, and the temperatures will be extreme. So in a grand total of things, it looks like the U.S. crops will struggle uh, as they head to the home stretch during the month of August. Bison producers from across Canada and the U.S. are gathering in Saskatoon this week for the International Bison Convention. Here's Convention Chair Les Krager. Our attendance is a little lower than we initially hoped. You know, we've still got the travel issues and uncertainties there, but, you know, we'll still have about 350 delegates here. 
We've got some from as far away as the UK coming. One of our speakers is coming from Poland, uh, Dr. Wanda Olek. And then, you know, we've got a, a good attendance from, from the US coming up. And then right from Quebec through to BC, we're going to have people from Canada there. He says the event will cover a lot of ground from production to conservation, right down to tips from chefs on how to prepare bison. And the final clean fuel regulations were published last week. The CFR requires that transportation fuels in Canada have an incremental carbon intensity reduction reaching 15% by the year 2030. Steve Pratt is Senior Manager of Transportation and Biofuel Policy at the Canadian Canola Growers Association. From a farmer's perspective, this is great because it's another... Uh, it's a piece of um, continental and domestic demand, um, which it, it all fits together with the um, announcements made in the crushing sector in 2021 and with the um, oil and gas industry in 2021 and 2022 around renewable diesel investments. It's really a good news story. And the CFR in Canada was the linchpin that kind of, to some degree, binds us all together. The final clean fuel regulations come into effect July 1st of 2023. I'll be back after this to wrap up today's program. We've come to the end of another Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Corey Canute. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us by email, thefarmdesk at goldenwest.ca. Today's closing numbers with more in-depth commentary on what's happening in the markets is coming up at 10 to 2 on the Markets Farm Program. Coming up on tomorrow's show, we'll hear from John Hurd with Manitoba Agriculture. Thanks for listening and have a great afternoon. Hope you can join us back here tomorrow starting at 12 noon.